Some things do not belong where we find them. Hold that phrase for a minute, okay? Some things simply do not belong where we find them. I want to read to you a, a news story. Some of you may have seen this. It was just from earlier this week. Uh, it is a, a variety of different news outlets you can find this on. Uh, I'm going to read to you an excerpt from USA Today and, and their version of this particular story. I think it was just this past Monday was when this took place. A man in Sydney, Australia, discovered he had bought more than just lettuce when he returned from a grocery trip. Alexander White noticed a small venomous snake was hanging out in the produce bag he had just brought home from Aldi. The young animal, which apparently came free with purchase, was identified as a pale-headed snake. While there aren't any known human fatalities resulting from this particular species bite, the snake's venom can, quote, produce some unpleasant symptoms, including severe headache, blurred vision, localized pain, and abnormal bleeding, according to the Australian Museum. White said he realized the lettuce stowaway was a snake rather than a worm when it started flicking its tongue. I would have been more comfortable with a worm, to be honest. The snake was picked up by wildlife officials and will be returned to the wild eventually. The lettuce, however, did not survive the ordeal. White told reporters he had used it in a salad wrap for lunch later on. Some things do not belong where we find them. The point, when a Christian thinks or says or acts in such a way that they believe themselves to know all they need to know, Now just think about that for a moment. The holy privilege of listening to Jesus pray. Now consider the potential of what we can learn from that. It's a powder keg of potential. The text is John 17, verses 1 to 5. John 17, verses 1 to 5. Hear now God's Word. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, 
glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for the permission, the privilege, the invitation to eavesdrop, to hear you praying. And in particular, this prayer on the night just before your betrayal, well, the night of your betrayal, really, the night just before your sacrifice, your death, your death on our behalf, and your knowing absolutely with all certainty of what was coming. So, with that, we're listening in, and we ask that you really would give us ears to hear. We plead with you, please give us ears with which to hear, that we would know not just what it is to pray, but what it is to follow you, this one that we hear praying. We ask that you would tear into our assumptions, blow up our presuppositions, holding only to trust in what you will say. And as it is often said, let the chips then fall where they may. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's talk about the heroic journey for a moment. Uh, this is a topic that has been, much has been written on in recent decades, in particular by Joseph Campbell some decades ago. Uh, the, the heroic journey is, is a, uh, it's, it's, there are elements, it describes elements that are there in all the great myths, all the great legends, whether that be ancient or modern. The idea here is the studies are done on this topic. Uh, th those who are examining this thing will tell you there are certain, it's a template. There are certain aspects, certain characteristics that you can find in any of the great tales. And it begins with something, well, first you have a hero, right? To have a heroic journey, you have to have a hero. You have to have a quest. You have to have uh, significant, formidable obstacles that must be overcome. You have a, a process of learning and discovery that takes place. You have uh, a final accomplished climactic end. All those traits that you'll find in the, in the great old stories or even the great new stories. One more that I haven't mentioned, and that is there in, in every case, there's a, a, a wise, experienced, sage, guide, mentor of sorts, without whom said hero has no hope of accomplishing his or her quest. Now, think with me. Arthur had Merlin, right? Frodo has Gandalf. Luke has Obi-Wan and then Yoda. I guess he really needed some help. Harry has Dumbledore. You, you see, that's what makes some of these, these part of what makes these tales resonate and, and, and have the power, something of the strength that, that they do have. That's, that's the, the, the thread that's there. And in each case, the hero has much to learn and unlearn from their mentor, from their teacher, from their God, from that, that, that sage. 
Much training needs to take place, and even retraining needs to take place, again, that they might then be successful in carrying out this, this quest. Okay, park that. Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our King. He is our Lord. His work is what is described as a monergistic work, one-sided, one-sided. Ours is but to not contribute anything, just embrace it, accept it, receive it, live out of it, okay? Jesus is also described in the Scriptures, however, all of that said, equally so, He is also described in the Scriptures as a friend, as a counselor, as a helper, as a brother, as a shepherd, as a guide. Both are true. And uh, it's interesting to note that when you consider who Jesus is as the second Adam, therein He really is the, the pattern, the template, the, the guide for what it means to actually be authentically human, to, to live in communion, lasting, continual communion with, with God. Or if I could just put it this way, it sounds so crazy to put it this way. It sounds almost too simple and too obvious and maybe even a, insulting to put it this way. But Jesus is the pattern, Christ is the pattern of the Christian life. Fair? So it would stand to reason then that we would be wise to lock our eyes, to fix our gaze upon Him. That, that we would be wise, it would do us really quite, quite well to, to watch Him, to listen to Him, to even, even when it, if, if prayer is in fact a big thing in the Christian life, to even listen to Him pray. And in fact, there's something of that here in, in this text in every way. Listening to Jesus pray, let me just put it to you this way, listening to Jesus pray reshapes not just our understanding of prayer, but listening to Jesus pray reshapes what it means to follow Him. Again, I said this is the first of Plan 3 messages. Uh, this is Part 1, verses 1 to 5. Part 2, Lord willing, come next week, and then we'll follow that with Part, part 3. But, but this is the thesis, and I, it's, it's so plain, it's so, so obvious, and yet, and yet I wonder if it is. Listening to Jesus pray utterly reshapes what it means to follow Him. We, we, we see that in, in three things that they're so plain, so clear in this text. The dependency of Jesus, the intimacy of Jesus between Jesus and His Father, and then thirdly, the priority of Jesus, as we see manifested in this prayer, okay? So, dependency and intimacy and priority, those three. Let's look at these in turn. First, dependency. Just, just think with me. Don't, don't fly past this. Don't skip this. The fact that Jesus prays. You ever think about that? The fact that that Jesus prays. Now, that's actually, that really is worth contemplating for a moment. 
the, the, the fact, and not just in this moment, but continually throughout his ministry, Jesus is listening to the Father, learning from the Father, leaning into the Father continually all through his ministry, not just here. We just see it front and center here. What do we learn from this? Let's, let's consider who this is. Who is this praying? This is not someone like us. Well, I mean, it, he is in the fact that he's fully human, but not in our, and not in our fallenness. He is not um, weak and disobedient. His are not mixed and flawed motives. His efforts are not half-hearted and half-baked. His teaching is not questionable in terms of its truthfulness and help, helpfulness. Again, he is this we're not speaking of someone in those senses like you and me. We're speaking of Jesus here, Jesus who is always good and faithful and true. There, it's implied even in these verses, you just can't miss this, the implied identification of Him as being fully God, fully God, just right here in these, these verses here in John. He, he is, is, yes, fully man and fully God, and it's alluded to His eternal preexistence as the Son of God. And that's who's praying here. What is he asking? That's worth considering as well. What is he asking here? He is pleading with the Father on this occasion that for the acceptance of his sacrifice, of his sacrificial death. He's pleading that that will actually be accepted. He's pleading, he's asking that his teaching will actually take hold in the lives of his disciples. He, he's, he's pleading, he's praying to the Father that the purposes of those things, his sacrifice and his teaching, will land, that they, that they will be effectual and have consequence. Now, it's, it's worth thinking about this, that, that Jesus, he doesn't presume anything. Those things, the acceptable nature of his sacrifice and whether or not the church will continue, has actually been preordained and guaranteed and planned before the beginning of time, and yet Jesus does not presume upon that, but rather He prays and pleads for the Father that it will come about nonetheless. Jesus prays and prays for the likes of these things. And my friends, this, this tells us as we listen to Jesus pray, this is pointing us towards our absolute dependency upon the Father. As we hear His dependency on the Father, it's pointing us towards our dependency on the Father, and not just in prayer, but in everything, in absolutely everything. Um, Jerem Bars, in a very helpful book uh, on the topic of prayer, uh, speaks on this point very clearly. This is what he says. Jesus is showing us in the clearest possible way that our work in God's kingdom will be ineffective without our prayer for the Father to accomplish His purposes through His blessing on all we do 
Jesus is teaching us in all the things we do, it is not enough to be busy for the Lord, not enough to be active in doing His work, not enough to be committed to teaching His Word. In addition to the work we do, we are always to beg the Lord to do His work in people's hearts and minds. For without His work, without His blessing, all our labors will be in vain. Now, understand that when he's referring there, and he goes on to make this explicit, when he's speaking of when we are doing His work and teaching the Word and all our labors, it's not, we're not just talking about formal ministry. We're talking about in everything, you know, coming alongside your children, coming alongside a friend or a neighbor, trying to do justice and mercy and faithfulness, trying to carry out the first and second greatest commands. In, in that sense, if we aren't praying, we don't have any reason to expect success in those things. That's the point. That's the point. We have so much to learn here. So much to learn here. A terrifying amount to learn here. So parenting, here's a little analogy for you. Parenting, I have found through the years to be one of God's chief means of sanctifying that is exposing how un-Jesus-like I am and how much I need Him, okay? And, and it's at every stage, at every stage. And I'm thinking back in particular, just as an example, to the shoe-tying stage, okay? And by the way, those of you who are in the shoe-tying stage, get ready because that's just a precursor for the driving lesson stage, <laughs> okay? And there's a good reason that the one comes after the other because the other one can involve, never mind. Um, so, I'm thinking back to times with certain three children whose names will go unmentioned, um, but when they're, I'm, I'm, I'm coming alongside them and, and, and trying to help, I'm offering some suggestions, and yet this preschool sage there sitting on the floor <laughs> with the knotted shoes assures me what? You've heard it. I can do it all by myself. Now, I'm a little skeptical after 20 minutes especially. And yet, I have to confess that that's me. That little preschool sage with the tangled laces sitting on the floor for 20 minutes plus, refusing any help, is me. And Jesus, in His mercy, is showing me how foolish a stance and posture that is. And you can see it here in John 17 in the way Jesus Himself prays to His Father. So you see, as we listen to Jesus pray, we see that it's, it's not just our understanding of prayer being reshaped, but it's our understanding of the whole of what it means to follow Him. And a huge component of that has to do with our dependency. And that takes us to the second point, because not only do we see something of the fact, and that's huge, the fact that Jesus prays, but then we also need to grapple with who he's praying to, his Father. And this takes us to the point not just of, of dependency, but intimacy. He prays to his Father. The Greek would be pater or the Aramaic, Abba, okay? And again, this is something maybe you're so accustomed to Jesus starting off praying with Father, 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 Father. Don't fly past this. Don't let yourself become numb and inoculated to this. This was a wondrous thing 
and is and forever will be, that Jesus is praying in this way. So, we have record of 20, 21 times in the Gospels, we have records of Jesus praying. In every case, in every case, He addresses God this way except one, and that's His cry of dereliction, of, de- of, of desperation and abandonment as He's hanging there on the cross. That's the only time. In all other cases, He addresses God as as Father. Now, the image, of course, is one party appealing to another, looking to them as a source of strength and wisdom and provision and protection. The word could be translated, again, pater or abba could be translated daddy. It's the word that's used, it's the way of coming a small child reaching up their arms to their male parent, crying, Daddy. That's the way Jesus prays. That's how He addresses God. Now, there's significance in that not only for Him but for us. For Jesus, now here we're talking about the Trinity. We're we're, we're thinking in terms of this is big, huge to get impossible, really, to get our minds around this. But we're speaking here of the tri-unity, a unity of essence and diversity of persons and a quality of honor and glory. And Jesus stands as the only one in relation to God as Son the Son of God, unique, utterly so, and yet we've been brought in. We've been brought into the family, made sons and daughters, not in the same way, understand. We're not talking about, none of you out here, I don't, sorry to burst your bubble, we're not dealing with demigods, but rather Adoption, being brought into the family. Jesus, He cannot wait to make this plain uh, immediately upon His resurrection. If you want to turn to John chapter 20, you can see it so plainly. I mean, what is the message that He gives to Mary Magdalene, the first evangelist, the apostle to the apostles? What's the message that He gives to Mary? What does He say? What's the burden that He has upon His heart that He wants her to convey to His disciples? You know what it is? What's well, in verse, chapter 20, verse 17. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He wants us to know and to be assured from the start what our stature is, what our standing is. We have been brought into this family with all the rights and privileges of the sons and daughters of the King. And friends, again, as we listen to Jesus pray, this is something that just shakes the whole thing up. It just reshapes our understanding of prayer. It reshapes our understanding of what it is to follow Jesus because it tells us that we have, we have intimacy with the Father. Some of you have heard me use this analogy before. Who gets to wake up the king in the middle of the night asking for a glass of water? Who gets to do that, right? Now, if, I suppose if there's a guard 
and there's a crisis, a danger in the castle, well, then they can come in. Uh, if it's an advisor and there's a crisis of state and it needs immediate attention, well, okay, so I suppose they can go in. But for a glass of water to wake the king in the middle of the night, who gets to do that? The child of the king. If you are a Christian, if you are a disciple, if you are a follower of Jesus, friend, that is you. That is you. We have that sort of privilege, and He gladly, gladly receives us, welcomes us into His presence, no matter when and for no matter what and why. Because we're His. Because He is our pater. He is our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. Listen to Jesus pray. Again, it reshapes not just our understanding of prayer, but our understanding of what it is to follow Him. And again, in this case, it's not just, it is dependency, but it's also this intimacy. Well, then that takes us to the third point. And here we move into not just um, that Jesus prays and who He prays to, but what He prays and what is the burden of His heart as He prays, and it is glory. It is glory. You see it five times just in these five verses. It is clearly the theme of the prayer. Glory. Alluded to that earlier as the service started. So we, it would be helpful to understand the terms, just to drill down here, that, that we would really you know, kind of grapple with this and put our, our, our thinking caps on here. So glory, biblically speaking, not culturally speaking, biblically speaking, glory generally, when you're speaking of the Bible, has to do with a unique magnificence, the particular honor, the special splendor that a thing or a person has. That's their, that's their glory. Generally speaking, every flower, every bird, every sunset, every mountain, every person has their unique, particular, special glory. Generally, that's the general way of understanding it. Now, the Bible in particular speaks of God's glory and also Jesus as the Son of God's glory. Now, what does it mean to glorify? Well, that has to do with showing forth that glory demonstrating that glory, letting it be seen for what it is and who that person is. And specifically, we as followers of Christ, how can we glorify Him? By trusting Him, by obeying Him, and imitating Him. Those are three key ways as the follower of Jesus and glorify and allow Him to be seen for who He is in and through our, our lives. Now, that, this idea of glory and glorifying, how does Jesus engage with that in this prayer? In three ways. First, 
he prays regarding eternal glory. You see that in verse 5, where he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He is asking that the Father would allow him to, with this sacrifice that is coming, he would then begin be able to again share in that glory that he laid down in order to carry out this mission, the glory that was His as the pre-existent Son of God forever and eternally. So He's praying regarding this eternal glory. He's praying for earthly, uh, earthly glory, glory on earth. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And here He's not asking for a restoration of glory, but He's reflecting on glory that He has already manifested as He has served the people around Him and loved them and taught them and uh, obeyed His Father's commands. He's given glory to His Father and all of those things. But there's one more, and this has to do with the glory in His death. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. This sounds so counterintuitive, but John is clear on this again and again and again through his gospel, and it comes out so obviously here at this point. Jesus, the, the hour is His death. And the idea here is that Jesus' glory is the supreme manifestation and demonstration of His glory, of who He is, is in the cross. There we see more than anywhere else His love and compassion and His grace towards us. That's how we see triumphantly, climactically, most dramatically, His glory. And what Jesus is praying here is that, Father, the moment has come, the time has come. Glorify me that I might glorify you. Let the one happen that the other would happen, that the world would know, that your people would know, that the angels would know who you are forever and amen. Do this that that might be. Again, as we're listening to Jesus pray, we, come to, we start having to grapple with the priority in His heart of His Father's glory over everything. No matter what, the, may the outcome be your glory, O my Father. Now, this is tremendously challenging. If our prayer life is to look something like that, Indeed, if our very lives are to be patterned on this, this is tremendously challenging. I mean, think with me. What is typically, I mean, I'm asking this of myself as well, what is typically the focus, the priority of our prayers? What is the burden of our heart, the burden? that causes us to cry out to Him. Why do we cry out? And indeed, what is it that causes is it? Is it the glory of the Father? 
over everything? Or is that usually kind of a, oh yeah, and that? Kind of as an addendum. Not to say that our needs and desires have no place, but rather this has to take prior place. Indeed, for the follower of Jesus, for the disciple, for the Christian, that's what we're seeing here. It's not that those things have no place. It's not that our needs and desires have no place. It's rather that this has, His glory, the Father's glory, must take preeminence over everything. Our chief desire, our chief end, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, our chief end is His glory and our enjoying of Him forever. Our longing oh, in any and everything is that the Father would be seen and known and honored trusted and obeyed, esteemed and praised for who He is, no matter what, no matter what, in all things by everyone, at all times, in all trials, in all temptations, in all tribulations. May it be His glory, Him being seen for who He is. Again, it does not rule out our needs and desires, but friends, it does, it must order and reorder them, place and replace them. As we listen to our Lord Jesus pray for the disciple, for the professing follower of Jesus, this has to reshape our understanding of what it means to follow Him. It simply must. It simply must. Let me come back to this, this idea of the mentor, of, of the necessity of, of the guide in the heroic quest. So I'm going to take you now to Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, probably the best of the bunch. Don't argue with me on the point. You'll lose. (laughs) Luke Skywalker is on the planet Dagobah, and he is struggling in this training that he is to become a Jedi Knight under the tutelage of Yoda. His X-Wing, Luke's, not Yoda's, is down in the swamp in its depths. He can't for a moment envision how in the world that thing is going to be raised up out of, the, out of the depths, out of the swamp, and brought back on the dry land. Because, of course, as he says to Master Yoda, this is a whole lot different than just rocks and sticks, to which Yoda says quite strongly, no, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. Okay, my fellow Jedi Knights, think with me. Think with me of the applicability of the green sage's words. You must unlearn what you have learned, what you have spent a lifetime learning. You must, if you were to follow Jesus... We must unlearn what we have learned in Christian prayer, 
and indeed beyond that in what it means to follow Him. Friends, that means that in so many areas of our lives, we have to be willing to have our assumptions sometimes about some of the most basic things checked and be ready to be ready to be surprised when the God of the universe challenges our assumptions and our ways of thinking and our ways of going about through life and indeed about following Him. It not ought to surprise us that we will be surprised. And perhaps, perhaps we should even be willing to embrace those times of challenge as He is training us to follow Him. As He is training us to follow Him. Listening to Jesus pray, it really does reshape what it means to follow Him. Let's pray together. Father, we are disciples, learners, followers. Ours is a place of listening, speaking to you, but not telling you, being changed being challenged, being transformed, not presuming, not assuming that we know in all of life, nothing excluded. How we see, how we think, how we speak, how we act must be subject not to the whims of our desires or our culture, whatever wing, left, right, red, blue, that we might be more swayed by, rather subject to your word, your word, not ours, not others, but yours. Thank you for this holy privilege to eavesdrop, to eavesdrop on this prayer to eavesdrop on this conversation. Clearly, you want us to hear. You've invited us right in. And here we are just beginning to learn. As children, dependency and intimacy and priority. Father, this is all so very counter to our most basic instincts. We need your help. We don't even understand how much we need your help. Make us what you've saved us to be, your followers. We pray this in your name.